Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined by my good friend and my co-host for five and a half years, Jason Jay-Z Zanger. Welcome. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good. We're over here at Zanger's Industrial. Yeah, I walked in and Jason goes, God, you look tired. And it's 7.30 I didn't in the say, morning. I didn't say G- God. I yeah. did not say God. Yeah. You said, gosh. I, I just said, God, Jim, you, you look, look tired. And I said, because I, I was concerned yeah. about you. I said, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> 7.30 in the morning, I'm driving in here, a lot on my plate. and But no, I feel good. I'm excited to do this episode. It's about old school things that... But you love old school things. Well, no, I love new school stuff. You do Don't love get new me school wrong, too. That's true. But I believe... There's certain things you like in the old school. I do. And what I want to talk about today is however old those fundamental machining things are, they're still relevant in today's society. And I'm going to I'm gonna tell a story about how this is. Great. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight three or four different machining tips. Mm-hmm that are old school things that I learned as a a machinist that are still really relevant today. They may have changed a little bit, but they're always something to keep in the back of your head. And I hope that it equips and inspires somebody out there, maybe a younger person. Yeah, I'm looking forward to learning about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tell me what's new with Zanger's Black, Jason. Something exciting, I hope. Well, yeah, I mean, we we definitely have some exciting things going on. I kind of hinted at this during a previous episode that we're... I'm finally starting to learn some principles for becoming more of a self-managing company. I mentioned a book that I was reading, and I mentioned all these ideas that I've had swirling around in my head for the last 10 years, but I'm finally almost at the point to start sharing our complete financials with our team on a monthly basis. And I'm really excited about that because I think that it's something that as a leader, being transparent in your business with your team is important. And I've always been hesitant. It's always been, I was always, that's an old school guarded thing that you would never talk about. You would never do. So like I was always taught, like my dad and I would review the financials, just the two of us. And, you know, we'd make decisions based on the information that we got from us. But I want to move into, into a direction where I want, to share those things with my team and I want them to make recommendations. I've already started moving towards kind of empowering my team to make decisions, to experiment, to be okay with failing at stuff. And they're doing a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of them and the direction we're going into. We've we've essentially like eliminated our middle management. And I like the trajectory of where we're going. I probably have more to say about this in the future because right now it's still kind of an experimental phase. Yeah, but, but you're but, not you're not going to share every part of the. Uh, oh, I'm going to share it all. Yeah, are you going to share your income? It's going to be categorized, and I'm going to have one line which is going to show basically like the owner's share. So it's going to include our salary, what we need to pay in taxes what we need to invest in the company, capital expenditures, and like even health insurance, 401k Yeah, well, no, that one line is going to include even things like, you know, us having like a reserve for like the unknown and stuff like that. But it's going to be, everything is going to be there. We're going to share it all. And and hopefully the team will hold each other accountable and, and be able to make intelligent de- decisions associated with Do it. Do you think it might be too comprehensive for all those ears? That's a good question. And I review- because manufacturers, I'm just thinking about my employees. We're not 
typically finance people. We're visual. We know how to make stuff with our hands. And if you're trying to present something that's over their head. Yeah, that's a good question. So like I reviewed the initial draft with my wife because, you know, my wife and I are business partners and we have two corporations and we're running those kind of like two like micro organizations of the same, like her and I kind of collaborate and stuff like that. And, And she was like, well, first of all, let's not show the comparison between the two organizations yet. Let's just share one with one and one with the other. And then she was like, let's kind of consolidate this, basically cut the information in half. So as an example, I broke out like a lot of our expenses. She was like, just put all those into one bucket. People aren't going to, they're going to gloss over when they see too many line items. they don't want to see janitorial services. Yeah, let's just put it all in. Cutting tools. Exactly. So we're going to shrink it up a little bit and make it a little bit more basic. And Mm -hmm. then if people want to ask questions, then we can kind of dig a little deeper into each one of those buckets. The goal is to be transparent and to empower my people. Well, it's important no matter who you are, everyone understands plus and minus, right? Right, exactly. And at the end of the day, you have to have more money coming in than more money going out to be a successful... It's that easy. It's that easy. And this kind of goes to, and this is going to be an episode that we're going to record right after this one, but this kind of comes from my mentality of, or my belief that I'm a steward of my business as opposed to just... I own it and it's mine and I don't and I'm not going to share this information with everybody else. I right. feel like I've been kind of given this business to be a steward of it for a greater good as opposed to saying this is mine and you guys can't see it. I understand. Good luck. Thank Let you. me know how that works. Yeah, I will. It's funny when you said you used to share you and your dad used to go over the finance. I remember when my dad, you know, back in the I think it was the 90s and the accountant used to do the monthly financials and in paper, right? Yep. Cuz everything was paper, right? Yep. He would say, "Jim, when I started in the business, it was all printed on a dot matrix." Oh god. But but now but now we've moved on to laser printing them yeah. <laughs> or just looking at them on a spreadsheet. Oh yeah, it's on, <laughs> it's all on the screen now, but he used to put he goes, "This is how I do it." He goes, I take four months at a time and I lay them all out on the same page every month and I look straight across and I look at the numbers and he goes, that's just a way to see quarterly how you're doing. Yep. yep. And he was absolutely right. Yeah. I don't do that anymore. You know, with QuickBooks, that's what we use. You can see it on a daily basis how you're doing, which is really nice. Oh, it's yeah. Because it's we in have, real time. We have NetSuite and, yeah, and same it's the same thing. It's yeah. in real time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of... Oh, yeah. Uh, literally, if somebody sends an invoice to you, Jim, if I send you an invoice for cutting tools, it literally gets booked to our income statement immediately. Right. Or if somebody like you know, and when I makes a ledger that, adjustment, same thing. When I enter that in as a bill, an invoice, it subtracts from the profit, right? Yep. Yep. So, and that's one of those things, and we can have another episode about this in the future from a process standpoint every company like a distributor tooling distributor like me we need to start automating our processes ap ar all those kind of stuff and even for manufacturers it's important to bring a high level of automation so that you can eliminate a lot of the human interaction in in your business what do you know that's kind of what my manufacturing news is about today all right well why don't you go automation and and i I didn't want to cut you off but no go uh, by the way i just want to make mention that we we did a repush of an episode i did for prototype to productions of how oh, yeah. made the made the change and we had why'd you do the repush well we did it because i wanted christine schmidt she's our senior writer at making chips i wanted her perspective because you know she's married to tony schmidt who's a got a phd in manufacturing he's phd in machining machining let's be more precise well, okay it's and, probably even something more precise than and that, i love whatever. the juxtaposition that she used in her writing that it showed my old school 
uneducated ways of running my business and how I run it against what how Tony thinks a highly educated person. That's well, a I think Christine is a great writer, and she I think captures the essence of what we talk about, which is machining and leadership. And I think she does a great job she of writing a, a story around that. And and actually, I did an episode on communication that we never released a Boring Bar about. And so Christine's going to also re-release a, re-push a Boring Bar, giving her own commentary on communication yeah. too. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So look, uh, you guys look for that and let me, let me know your feedback. But when I was looking for the manufacturing news, it, this is kind of ironic that it's a new school article talking about old school practices. The article is from IOT News, and it says why the rest of the supply chain needs to catch up with smart manufacturing. So you know, Jason, we've been talking about this for all the years that we've been doing the show, about how the Internet of Things and how smart manufacturing and automation and efficiency is really, really going to propel us into the next generation in Mm -hmm. manufacturing. It starts out by saying smart manufacturing sector is prime for a huge growth over the next few years. They're talking about getting the maximum efficiency from automating your shop. The numbers are this. Almost $205 billion was spent in smart manufacturing in 2019, and it's projected to reach $506 billion by 2027. Wow. So that's an, in seven years, it's nearly going to more than double. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you go into a Tesla manufacturing plant in the United States, it is highly automated, highly choreographed, and all of that has to happen through smart manufacturing. Completely. And that's what this this article goes on to tell us. And And there's still not everything that's manufactured could be manufactured like a Tesla. You know what I mean? That's a highly produced vehicle. There's certain things that need to be crafted from a craftsman or craftswoman. And those things are done a little bit differently, but absolutely, you know, the future of manufacturing has to be in smart manufacturing. And why they're talking... Because even even like the things that are crafted on a one-off basis need to be manufactured smartly. They do. And they're saying due to the pandemic, the coronavirus that happened in quarter one of this year, it has really generated a lot more fire and a lot more interest in smart manufacturing because we need an increased amount of automation and a decreased dependence on human intervention, which we knew that, but the coronavirus just really escalated this up to a new level. We've been talking about robots and automation, and they they go on to say that robots are now tasked to handle test tubes and mix potentially hazardous and radioactive compounds such as those used in chemotherapy drugs. Not only are our shops becoming more automated with all of these new technologies, robotics being one of them, but the technology of those is being amplified at a much more faster pace. Yeah, and this is all really interesting, and we should probably dive deeper into some of these in the future. There's one thing that really concerns me about this, and you're probably never going to guess the direction that I'm going into, but my biggest concern about this is like I'm a big proponent of entrepreneurialism. And I think that that's something that really defines us as a country. I think, you know, there's 
powers at work that are trying to de-define that. But I think that that's what de- makes... Did you say de-define? Yeah. Let's not go there right now. Okay. But I think that that's one of the things that really drives our country is our entrepreneurial freedom spirit. My concern is that this smart manufacturing could potentially make the capital investment in order to start a business so high that it's hard to get into certain lines of businesses mm. as an entrepreneur Could be. because that bar is so high. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that, that concerns me about this. That's a legit concern. It's a concern, but it's not It's not a re... I mean, we've got to push forward. I mean, it's just a concern and something that hopefully can be addressed. And those are all internal problems inside of a factory. But the problems that this article goes on to say is where we need improvement is on externally. So oh, that makes problems sense. That, that happen externally need to catch up with these internal automation problems. Mm-hmm. So the external part, so what it, a couple of the things that they pointed out is spoilage, like product quality and transport, including travel delays and poor packaging and handling. We've seen that. That's why we opt our packaging materials. We use first-class packaging materials. We custom design crates, boxes to handle our packages because we're shipping from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast, way down South into the Gulf Coast. Yeah, no, Um, I I agree with that. I mean, even like a company like Amazon, I mean, I just bought... We do a book club here at Zangers, and so I know you, you, do. you see a stack of books that are sitting on my desk. And you know, I got this package for Amazon, and it, it, it looks terrible. Like was it every bad? book in there? Look at them. I mean, every book in there is all like kind of scraped up and nicked up and stuff like that. It looks terrible. I know. That, I well, mean, give me a break. Amazon. I totally get that. I totally get that. But there's a cost associated with high class packaging and t- a little bit of time and effort. But we're selling parts that are thousands of dollars. Right. If it's going to travel cross-country, the packaging has to be correct. But there's more important things here in this article, too. It says most issues aren't effectively addressed since the root causes aren't properly identified as soon as they occur. Logistics operation remain paper-based even today, which prevents effective gathering of timely information about packages and shipping conditions. So what they're recommending is improvements... These types of improvements, they're saying technology adoption in the rest of the supply chain. So we know what's happening in our shops, right? We can automate, use robots, ERP systems, scanners, all this technology. But when those parts leave our shop, it's out of our control. How do we collectively and collaboratively utilize our supply chain externally to really amp up the finished product because until it goes to the customer, it's still our problem. Well, that's why I'm making sure that your partners in the supply chain are the best that you could be partnering right. with. And right. we're an integral part of the supply chain as a tooling distributor. And we use a lot of like the latest software and vending machine technology in order to help out and make sure that that supply chain is as efficient as possible. They even say that there's some QR tags equipped with sensors that can log changes. This is like if you ship your product. They're saying there's some QR tags with sensors that can log changes in temperature, humidity, ambient light, and physical shocks. These tags are small and discreet enough to be placed in individual packages and can be conveniently scanned using a mobile phone camera. Now, isn't that cool? And then that data can be viewed and shared through a web portal. 
there's a company called Magna Medical, and it uses these tags for its shipments. And through the platform, the company is able to get timely parcel-level information of all of its products, ensuring that each shipment reaches its destination both in the best condition and compliant with government regulations. Well, Jim, that's something that you could easily do in your packaging too. I mean, yes. like, you know, you could put a sensor with a tag on it so you know exactly where it is all the time and what the conditions are within that package. I mean, you, you can kind of track UPS and FedEx. You can yeah, tra- but they're just giving you basic information. It's just basic. Know? It's yeah. not. It's certainly not giving me temperature right. or or anything else. Yep. Nonetheless, it was an interesting article, and I thought I'd share it with everybody, and and it kind of relates to what I'm going to talk about today. But we're going back to the old school. We're going we, back to tie dyes and you know boomboxes like and, and you know what are those Walkmans? You know, like, remember Walkmans? You, you know, you know tie dyes and camouflage clothing is is back in style, yes, right? You had your so. camouflage shorts on for our photo shoot a couple weeks ago. I did, and you, you know, did. like my wife's always wearing like when she's exercising tie dye ish type pants and stuff like that so you know it's also coming back into style merlot oh merlot wine yeah yes that's, that's what I, i'm I told drinking, I'm, i was drinking I'm it told the other day merlot was out of style for for a while it kind of was back. it kind of was but this is something that i kind of skipped over before we started but yeah old school stuff like do you remember like members that is only not jackets? coming back members do only you jackets remember members only jackets i know what you're talking about that was not my era and the mullet haircut did you have a mullet no i did not bell bottom jeans Bell bottoms, I think, already came and left again. Yeah. Nonetheless, whatever fads come and go, these are some old school things that I think are still relevant in our industry. And I just want to share it with I, everybody. Jim, when I, when I was during that impressionable age where what I was is, what is, with fashion, what is an impressionable it was, age? It was Z Cavaricis. So if there's anybody out I there that used to... I yeah, don't even know yeah, what that you, is. You wouldn't know. Yeah. No, that was my Are era. those jeans? They're a type of pant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Were they expensive? Yes, they were okay. very expensive. Okay. Yeah. My daughter, my 14-year-old daughter the other day was showing me these shoes she wants to get, and they're Air Jordans. Yeah. I, and I was like, Air Jordans are still around. <laughs> yeah, they're very expensive, I understand. I know. I was like, I'm not buying those for you. <laughs> anyway, what brought this up is I was in the office a few weeks ago, and one of our machinists came in to talk to Ryan, who is, of course, you know, my son and our operations manager, and Mike was having a problem with tap breakage. And, you know, this, it's always the same old story. So I'm hearing them talk and they're talking about why it's breaking. And it just, it gets under my skin because there really should not be any reason for a tap to break. I agree. And as it a, happens. As a, as a tap distributor, I agree right. with you. So I'm like, guys, guys, I'm hearing you. You're across the room. Come over here. I need to talk. So I took out my pen, took out my paper. And I, I'm like, okay. Were they running this on the new the ma- five axis? In our new tuning center. What's the material? I think it was 15.5 pre-hard. It was a little hard. It was it was like a 32 Rockwell stainless steel. And then I'm like, okay, what is the tap size? I don't know what it was off the top of my head. What size hole are you, yeah, you gotta know. Yeah, you got to drill the right hole for it. Well, you do. But the thing is, Jason, I would say 90% of the time why taps break is... The tap drill size, the hole that you drill, is too small, and then when the tap goes in, it creates a lot of stress on the tap to push and cut the material, and it creates so much stress on the tap, the tap breaks. By opening up that hole to its maximum ability, and maybe sometimes even a little bit higher, a little 
if you can go a little out of tolerance. Well, I would never recommend that. But, but uh, a few thousand, I'm talking just a few thousands. It makes a significant difference. So remember, when you're tapping a hole, especially when it's hard material or or tough, like 4140 pre-hard, stainless steel, titanium, you want to bring the hole size up as big as possible. And there's a range. There is. And then my guys push back. They're like, what about the class of fit? Was it going to affect the class of fit? And I'm like, no, it really won't affect. Well, that's the whole notion of having the range fits within that class. Yeah. But the, the minor diameter of the hole has nothing to do. The class of fit is how, like when you have a thread gauge, it measures the amount, it measures the clearance between the OD of the threads on the ID of the threads you cut and how close that is. So if it was exact, imagine if those 60 degree angles were completely on top of one another, when you put the screw in or the thread gauge, there'd be no clearance. That's called class of fit. And by opening up that hole diameter, it really doesn't change your class of fit. It's just making it easier for that tap to... Now, if you open up the hole the whole way, you'd have no threads, right? Right. So you just you need to open it up as much as possible just to mitigate the amount of stress on the tap as it's cutting the hole diameter. And I would say very rarely do you need to use a drill size, at least from my experience, very rarely do you need to use a drill size that's not the recommended size for that tap. Well, There's there, some it's all situations of, where you do need to, like you're talking about, but like from my experience, you typically don't. It's typically, bet- they say it's typically between 75 and 55%. Well, it also depends on whether you're forming the threads or whether you're right. cutting the threads. Thread forming is completely different. That's where you're you're not cutting, you're pushing, you're, you're, forming, you're forming the, the material. Yeah, you're forming it. Yeah, you're pushing it. You're right. Uh, you're forming it into shape. You're yeah. forming it into a shape, and and those work really well. Now, I don't think it could have been applicable to ours because it was a pretty hard material. We needed to cut it. Of course, we had a we bought a a Thailand coated tap, and we were we were using all the tools, the technology, and the tool cutting that we could, but. I'm telling you, it always goes back to that whole diameter. So that's just one one thing. So really quick before you move on to the next thing, have you ever used a carbide tap? We have used carbide taps. I don't. I don't. I don't mean a unsuccessfully. Sing- I, I don't mean a single pointed one. No, I you're talking about a solid, carbi- car- solid carbide tap. A solid carbide tap. Yeah. Yes, we have used them. If you can find the right application for for a carbide tap, you can really push that production. It's it's. Awesome. Well, yeah, because look what you can do with solid carbide drills, mm-hmm. especially through the through the cool. We, we've had customers where like just the productivity increase was just yeah exponential. And then again, it goes back to what you said: if you can helical interpolate it with a single point tool, that's good too. But you can't. You talk about for thread milling for thread milling, but yeah, you can't do that different. like on a ten thirty two. I'm not talking about thread milling. I'm talking about an actual like solid. Carbide no, I know tap. it. I know what you mean. But thread milling is definitely another thing that like more people need to do. Everybody's always so nervous about the programming no, associated with with no, thread they, milling. N- it's easy. You could like, I mean, I could give you the programming to. to it do used that. to be years ago. I remember. Right. I remember doing it, and you used to have to have sub subroutines and repeat the subroutine. And but nowadays they just do it. That, that's Mastercam. also a huge, huge improvement. I mean, yeah, Mastercam yeah, just whips exactly. that out, no problem at all. The next one is flatness. So when we have flatness on our prints. 1,000, 2,000s, 10,000s, you really have to look at what's the material. And the first thing is, 
you want to pick a material that has the least amount of stress into it when they roll that material or when they pour that material. So the first thing I always look at is hot roll versus cold roll. Cold roll steel, the way it's formed, it creates a lot of stress in the material. So when you go and cut the material away, it relieves the stresses and it just makes the material boing. You could use that or else you can use a hot roll product that doesn't have stresses built into it when they make the mold, when they make the the steel. And that's always a better option. If you can use a hot roll product, you have there's less amount of stress in the material. But in addition to that, if you want to mitigate as much of the the stress and bowing of the material, you can always use an equal stock removal process. So let's say the material thickness, you buy three quarter inch plate, it finishes to half inch. You want to take an eighth off of each side. You can't want, you can't take like 10 thousandths or 20 thousandths off one side and the balance off the other because that in equal amount of stock removal will not balance the stress in the material. So normally if you cut it, it'll go concave. And then you flip it over and you cut the same amount, it'll boing back the opposite direction. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That is another thing. Now, an- one other thing that you could do too is if you feel that there's a lot of stress in that raw material when you receive it into your facility, you can send it out for stress relieving. It's typically your heat treaters do it. And what we just we did a really nice job where we ran an experiment on some really skinny plates and it was a, a stainless steel product. And we didn't want to take any chance, so we sent it to the heat treater. We had, we had one of them stress relieved, and the other one we left in the in the raw state. And by far and away, the product that we had stress relieved prior to machining the product came out in a much flatter condition after we were done. Interesting. Yeah, yep. you you know way more about that this topic than that's, I do. That's all yeah. I've been doing for my whole life. And these are old school things. Yeah, these I could go toe to toe with you on the on the on the Taps. tapping, but like material science is not my yeah, strong that's okay. suit. That's okay. The other thing is, and I'll make these last two very quick. And, and this has become more popular in the last 10 to 15 years. But, you know, old school way was if you had a piece of material that was half by two by six inches long, you would just buy a piece of half by two and cut it off at six inches and and put the holes and drilled and tap holes in it. Okay. But what we do nowadays is we go oversize on all of the entire shape. So if, if we take that same half by two by six inch block and we buy three quarter by two and a quarter by six and a quarter, we've got material all the way around that and we just cut it. We cut all the surfaces. Why? Why do that? You're well, saying, see, why, I'm, I'm actually, why do you want to cut? Yeah, I'm surprised that you do that because I would think that with the new technology, you'd be able to purchase material that is to the exact size that you need it. Yep. I well, thought that was the trend. No, it's not the trend. Hmm, interesting. So the reason we do this is we can hold it in a vise on that extra stock and we can machine all the way around the entire part and the stuff that's on the bottom that we're holding when we flip it over we just cut it right away we don't worry about it so we can machine five sides of a part all in one setup in addition to that we've got your location is dead nuts 
You've got perpendicularity because your end mill is cutting the side and the top. So you've got perfect perpendicularity, which on a raw piece of stereo steel that you buy from your steel supplier, you just don't know. You have no idea. Yeah. It's not going to be like a half a thou when you cut it. So is this because you have so much control over like multiple axes? Yes. The software nowadays can just generate these tool paths so fast. And of course, the cutting tool technology, we can remove. You can do it so quickly. We can remove material so quickly, it's crazy. Especially when you're not doing anything intricate, you're just taking off of each side. Yeah, I had a hard time moving in this direction when I was getting feedback from the shop on me buying the materials. They're like, no, 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 do it this way. And I'm like, this is what your team brought to the table. This is my team brought that, but everyone's doing it. But it's an old school way of doing it. It's kind of new school. Yeah. But again, the benefits, location, perpendicularity, parallelism, and surface finish. You can control all those. All those can be controlled. The last thing is a very simple, always collaboration. Is that old school? I thought that we're, I thought that old school was non-collaboration. Uh, not in my shop. Well, no. No, not in my shop. But no matter what, the manufacturing planning process is something that should never be overlooked. If before you start a job, especially a job that's really super sophisticated and there's a lot of detail and is really comprehensive, I highly recommend pulling the prints out, sitting down with at least two to three people that have industry knowledge and machining skills and look at them. You need yeah, six, I, this is the way, eye, yeah, six this, eyes on Yeah, the this print. is the way that I see this, but what do you see? And they might see something, a potential problem that you just didn't identify. Every time I've ever done any extensive manufacturing planning, pre-manufacturing planning, you know, in advance of actually setting it up or buying the tools or cutting the material, 98% of the time you come out with a much more efficient part. It's a better looking part. It's tolerance is there and the time is way better. And the thing is, everyone looks at a print and they see different things. If you have six eyes rather than two eyes on that print and that collaboration, someone says, well, what about that? What about that slot on the side? How are we going to put that on a 26.5 degree angle? And I may not even have seen it when I quoted it. So it's always good to have some extensive time in manufacturing planning, get some other people's ideas about how you're going to set it up, what type of tools you're going to use, what equipment you're going to use it on, and how are you going to cut it. Those are all really important. And then again, do you want to stress relieve it in advance? And then what if it's going out for plating? Is there going to be a buildup from the plating? Is there going to be two, three, four, five thousandths of thickness added to that material? Is it going to make your to- go your tolerances go out of tolerance. Do those drilled and tapped holes have to be masked off in the plating process? Because if the plating gets in those tapped holes, your gauge isn't going to go in anymore, right? Because it's the class of fit. It's affecting the class of fit. Those are all really important manufacturing planning things to do. And based on all my years of experience, I found that the more time that you can collaborate in the manufacturing planning process, you're going to be way better off. Don't neglect it. 
Can that's I, all I got. That's good. No, I, I definitely learned something Rapid here, fire. Jim, and I, and I appreciate you bringing this to the metalworking nation so that they can learn along with me. I Especially that part about you know machining every surface. I think that that was really interesting. I feel like we could probably do Jim's old school machining tips like during every episode. That should be like a regular segment oh, that's that, cool. that, that we always do. But anyway, I, I don't got, think I've, I could run out of them. I, I just you probably you probably couldn't. No. You, you probably got a million of them. I've got one thing that seems to like go in and out of style all the time. And, What's that? and it seems to go with the economy for the most part. And this is this is a little bit of a soapbox for me as a, as a tooling distributor. You know, the economy is not very good right now for most manufacturing companies. It's okay. And it's okay. It's, it's down okay. for sure for most It's not people. 08. It's not 08, but it's down for most manufacturing companies. And so because of that, there is more machine time available. Okay? Right? Right. Yes. And so that yes. means people are buying less machine tools. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so the machine tool distributors, who we typically work with, and so do you, they're your clients, they're yeah. our partners, right. they're like, oh, well, we're not selling a lot of machine tools, we should start selling tooling. And they start getting into this, and we have a very good client of ours that we have integrated, and I got to be honest, these machine tool guys, they are really good at machine tools, they are not good. They're at, not good at tooling, and we have we have a client that we've really tuned what, them up. What do you so mean? Is, what do you mean they're not good at? They it? just don't understand it like they understand the machine tool. They don't know the latest and greatest technology, how to manufacture a part, and and, and to be quite honest with you kind of like your whole collaboration thing, I think it's good to have another set of eyeballs, mm -hmm. the machine tool guy and the, the tooling distributor looking at that part saying, how do we optimize this production? So we have a client of ours that we sell them all their tooling. We have vending machine in there and all this kind of stuff. And the machine tool guy had all the tooling spec'd out by the time it got to our desk. Usually we can get out in front of it. This one we didn't get out in front of. And Was all, it a turnkey? It, it was a turnkey system, but okay. when we looked and we evaluated all the tooling, because fortunately the owner got got into it and he right. handed it off to us, and he's like, I just want to have you collaborate on this and take a look at this, right. because the machine tool guy spec'd out all the tooling, and we are like, uh-uh, no, no. Something's you wrong. You could do this way faster, way more efficient, and I feel like this is just something that I want to bring to everybody's attention because this thing goes in and out of style all the time. And I feel like everybody needs to and focus on what they do you think it's based on the best. economy? Uh, absolutely. Why? Because the machine tool manufacturers aren't as profitable as they used to be, so they're trying to make up those margins by selling cutting tools? Yeah, I mean, they get that one-time sale. I mean, they're not they're not in it for oh, we're gonna like hear the feedback. residuals. I know we're going to well, hear I feedback I don't, I don't, I don't even care. I'm just telling you, as somebody that does this day in, day out, we saw evidence right here, and we see it all the time, where that part was not spec'd out like it should have been spec'd out. Yeah. So, and this goes in and out of style. Obviously, Once we this, start, is, this is something that's come up recently, or otherwise you wouldn't have mentioned well, it. Well, just, yeah, we just talked about it yesterday. Oh, okay. And, and, you know, once the economy starts heating up again, they're going to be focused on the machine tool, which is where they should be focused anyway. Gotcha. And you and I have talked about this before, too, because you've, you've experienced this. Yes, I have. I have. But typically, I don't have them get involved in the cutting tools because... You want to make sure that it's done right. Yeah, I need to be intimately involved. Yeah, in everybody should for be a project. Everybody should be focused on what they do best. Yeah. And I think that you, Zangers Industrial, your team needs to. The best thing that you can do for us as a machine shop is keep us up to date on technology trends for the industry. 
because what that does is it equips us to think about a tool that might be really high level that's going to solve a problem for us and it's going to really create much more efficiency in our process. Right. And and even just even to take a step further, I mean, we should be in lockstep with you such that we justify all of those increases from a bottom line perspective. I mean, you should be able to see that on your bottom line, those mm-hmm. advancements that you've yeah. that you've made. I mean, it even comes down to like when you buy a machine tool and you finance it, they always want to throw a tooling package in there. Yeah. They do you, you actually don't have to do that through the machine tool dealer. You can finance the machine tool plus the tooling, but then you could buy the tooling from right. your trusted tooling distributor instead of from the machine yes, tool guy. Yes, I've, I've done that already. Because I talked to you about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. you and I, and, and yeah. it's one of those things where this goes, like I said, this goes old school and new school all the time. It goes in and out of style and, and you know, it's unfortunate, but just that's where like we are fashion right now. and everything else. Yep. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting takeaway. And it is funny how things go in and out of style, but at the end of the day, man, the still fundamental thing is if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. 